there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. I can't remember which one's of those. So you've, that means you've got to listen. If the slides are on how much you want to say, it's because Rich isn't listening. <laughs> so no pressure, Rich, but that's the... Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> you can have a lot of fun now as well. Right, we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments today. We are going to be looking at three in one today. Are you up for that? Yeah. This is a deal. If you rent a room, you get extra points. You'll be very happy with that. Three in one. Three commandments in one. We're going to look at lying, stealing and coveting. Might be glad to pay for church tonight. <laughs> it has the potential to feel like a detention. But I promise you won't. Um... They take it from Exodus 20, we're going to dive right in and show you where they are in scripture and then we'll, we'll teach you to them and, and explore them a bit. Exodus 20, 18 to 17, and this is what it says. You shall not steal. Pretty clear. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. And you shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. There you go. That's what he said. Now, like I say, I, I do realise this has the potential to feel like a proper drag. Um, well, I, I hope it won't be. First of all, we'll get the boring stuff out of the way, and we are going to define what these things mean. So I don't want to assume that you know them all. I'm guessing that stealing is pretty obvious, but in case you don't know what stealing is, this is the definition. It's the action or offence of taking another person's property without permission or legal right without intending to return it. Okay? Pretty obvious, the stealing one. However, the next one, giving false testimony, might be a little bit more of a challenge. To lie or knowingly misrepresent the truth about some event, personal, person or thing, aka being full of it. That's what giving false testimony is. If they were going to rewrite it into modern lingo, it would be, thou shalt not be full of it. Okay? Don't lie, in other words. And finally, coveting. That's another word, coveting, to the word covet. Very often in modern day language, but... Coveting means to yearn to possess something, especially something belonging to another. In other words, oh, wish I had her figure. Oh, you killed her tricycles. She can see where my brain off and goes. They're the first two on my list. And I thought, what do I cover? Triceps and a figure. Um, I wish I had his car. Oh, I wish I had their brains. That wasn't on my list either. How vain am I? Um, I'd give anything for a house like theirs. Wish my kids were as well behaved as yours. Ever, ever said that? Wish my kids behaved that way in public. Uh, I wish the grass in our garden grew as well as next door's. True. I had grass is rubbish. I mowed it yesterday because Matt's neck is too difficult to mow. He can play golf, but he can't. can't <laughs> I'm joking. But that grass is rubbish. Wish next door. We love next door's grass. Anyway. This is what they mean. All of these commandments, along with all the other ones that we've looked at and are yet to look at. I think we've got two more weeks, everything? One more week? A couple more weeks on this. So there's a few we haven't done yet. By the end of the series, we'll have looked at all ten. But all ten of them were designed for the same purpose. They were all designed by God to help keep peace and harmony within the community of Israel. They were written for, originally. And thereby showing the surrounding, often quite savage nations at the time, what God was like. That was the purpose of the Ten Commandments originally. So their purpose is twofold. It was a literal demonstration of the character of God to other people, 
and a blueprint to achieve community well-being and harmony. That's why so many of our laws today, even still, are based on the Ten Commandments, as John talked a little bit about last week. You know, if you murder someone, you'll go to prison. You shouldn't kill. Uh, our nation's laws are built on many, many of these commandments. So, we are doing this afternoon a whistle-stop tour of these three ones. Lying, stealing, and coveting. And what we're going to do, we're going to focus on three things. Three is good. Three is a magic number, as uh, Jack Johnson once said. What do they tell us about God? Why do they keep our relationships intact? And why are they so hard to keep? Especially in 2023. Okay, that's what we're going to look at. So we'll start with, what do these commandments tell us about God? What does, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not give false testimony against your neighbour, thou shalt not covet your neighbour's ox. What do they tell us about who God is? Well, first of all, God asked the children of Israel, who it was originally written for, not to lie or steal or covet, because they're actually the opposite of who God is. And he wanted them to live in such a way that the nations around them could see the character of God in their way of life. He wanted them to reflect to other people the character of God. So we shouldn't lie to each other because God is truth. Simple, really. Jesus himself declared that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is truth. There's nothing false in him. So we shouldn't lie. He's not a liar. And we're supposed to reflect his character. And when they lied, the Israelites, they weren't representing God to the nations around them because God doesn't lie. He's completely trustworthy. We shouldn't steal, because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He doesn't steal from others, he gives. He gives to us. He gives life to us, he gives hope to us, he gives promise to us. Jesus said like this, he said in John 10, 10, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that they may have life and have it to the full. So on a really simplistic level, God isn't a thief, therefore neither should we be. Okay? Basic, but true. And we shouldn't cover it because God is the source of all contentment. He's the source of all goodness, all hope, all peace, joy and fulfilment. And when we're rooted in him, we have everything we need. We don't need to cover it and wish we looked like someone else or had what they have because God is our source of everything we need. And when we look and lust after other people's things, we're looking at how grass the green, literally how grass green the grass is on someone else's side of the fence. What we're actually saying really is, God, you're not enough for me, I need more. True. Well, God is more than enough. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says like this, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. So in a very simple level, these commandments for Israel, if, if they would keep them, if they were able to hold on to them and do what they say, they would demonstrate to other people that God is truth, God is contentment, God is fulfillment. They're all found in him, not in exploiting other people. That's the first point, simple one, okay? The commandments tell us what God's like. But they weren't just to show other nations what God's like. They were also to help very practically keep that community together. If Israel obeyed those commandments, then they would keep their community as one, which was crucial for the prosperity of that nation. And that's because the commandments, they challenged the kind of individualism rooted in the heart of all of us, which prioritises the I, me, my first. And instead, they give us practical ways to overcome that individualism and keep our relationships with other people intact. So that's our next point. Why do they keep our relationships intact? All three of those commandments, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, they're fundamentally about maintaining trust between people. We're going to go a bit deeper now, okay? We've started off relatively simply. Let's dig a bit deeper. Because any community group, any friendship group, any 
family cannot prosper or function effectively without trust. When a relationship lacks trust or when trust is broken, it allows for the potential of um, development of very harmful actions or thoughts or emotions, particularly jealousy and suspicion. If the trust is there, the relationship starts to crack. It's crucial in any relationship. And the second you lie to someone or steal from them or become jealous of someone, you're breaking their trust. And that trust is so hard to get back. It's so hard to get back. Trust me. When we steal, we're breaking the trust with someone else. It's, the boy's gone out. I can tell the story then. It compromises our, our relationship because we start to be suspicious of people. If there's a thief around, we don't feel safe. Quite simply. Um, everything feels quite cloudy in fear because we might lose things or have things taken from us. We don't trust those around us. We had a, a few years ago now, don't tell the boys this, they don't know, for a reason. Um, we had someone trying to uh, steal Matt's car after I told him he should have had Skoda. Composer with the BMW. They weren't going for my kids for Tosh, let's just be clear. They tried to get the keys because he's got like a petrol automatic BMW, which is really fast apparently. And um, they could get away cars, we were told by the policeman that came round. They tried to get the car keys. So they, they did, they did, they did, they did, they the lock and we, what happened was, it was the middle of the night in the summer and Matt left a stupid flip-flop right in front of the front door. Oh my goodness, for the house, how big he is. Because the flip-flop jammed the front door because they were in. And we heard them go, <coughs> and Matt, rock star, superhero, that he jumped out of bed in his pants and ran down the stairs, put the light on. Thank goodness they had no weapons. And actually, the last that we're doing, we were wearing high-vis vests. Sorry, who steals a house in a high-vis vest? So they weren't exactly professionals. He really was wearing, you see, and obviously he did bright orange. What you Ponker. Anyway, so these three, they're about 12, I think, ran off down the street, and Matt was there, and he's, and Matt's flip-flop saved the day, because they jammed the door. You've now got better locks and all sorts of things. Ever since that, I mean, I was a little bit nervous going to bed, but honestly, one person doesn't feel as safe as he used to. Prior to that, quite generally, I thought, we live in the most sleepy little cul-de-sac in quite a nice town. Nothing bad's ever going to happen here. And now, every single time we go to bed, have you hidden your keys? Have you put your keys in the, the signal box at the policeman table so they can't have to see you remotely? I can do that, apparently, if you have a flashcard. Um, and, and it does make me nervous. I double check the locks, and there's always that, oh, I hope it doesn't happen again. And we haven't told the boys. They haven't lied to them, just didn't tell them, because they don't have to be scared away. But it always makes me a bit more nervous. I have less trust. In my street, and let's trust that one of them is as posh as it promised to be. Um, and when we cover, or when we get jealous of people, not just about theft or lying, even when we cover and get jealous over someone, something someone else has, it can make us question like the goodness of our own lot in life. It makes us question God's provision. It brings us the question: why, why should I trust in His goodness? They've got more than me. Jealousy brings in feelings of inferiority of entitlement, dissatisfaction, and it forces us to pursue fulfillment and contentment in things other than God. It can make us resentful of other people when you're jealous of them, rather than happy when something goes right for them, we can feel a little bit cheesed off. Oh, it's all right for them. Oh, she's lost even more weight this week. Seeing the world didn't bring out a good side of me, can you tell? Why don't I go to the classes as much anymore? 
I wasn't like, oh, well done, Joan, you lost two pounds this week. I was thinking, Joan, I'm not talking. Um, nothing corrodes trust, though, more than lying does. And I'll, I'll go into this one a bit deeper. On our living room wall in our house, we have a picture that I have made called the Wild Smith Family Values. It's going to call them rules, but it sounded a bit draconian, so we went for family values, but they're basically rules. Um, they're, I don't think the boys have ever even read them, even though I keep trying, look, isn't that pretty? Not once have they noticed these rules. Truth in it, they've been about far more than about five years, and neither one of them know they're even there. But anyway, we were thankfully for the frame. They're based on 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind, love is patient, but does not boast in that. Um, Self-seeking. And so I wrote, I phrased these values, we are patient with each other. World Smith stuff, kind, that we are always kind with each other. We're always patient with it. We do it so well, don't we? I mean, we've got all those values so well every day. Especially around the time of the school run. We are so patient with each other. But one of them on this list says, we always tell each other the truth. Now, I wish we could fulfill all of them, but the tell each other the truth part, my absolute bugbear, is the one that they do genuinely know they have to do. We even have a motto in our house called the Pinky Promise. Before Daniel was born, me and Thomas made it up. If you tell mommy a fib, you can't, if you have your pinky promise, hard. If you break the pinky promise, bad things happen. <laughs> Thomas still believes that's true. Not so much for Daniel. I'll be honest, the pinky promise hasn't worked quite so effectively on him. Because I know Daniel's broken that pinky promise a few times. But the pinky promise, the idea is that you have to tell each other the truth because lies are destructive. The book of Proverbs puts it like this. Telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. The minute you lie to someone, you challenge the integrity of the foundations of that relationship and cracks very quickly appear. And they're really hard to repair. And lying can take all kinds of forms. It's not just the obvious blatant, you know, lies. We even categorise them, you know, it's an employee lie. And it's like, it's okay. You might say, lying isn't a problem in my life, Lie. But you actually might lie more than you think you do. Because if you like a bit of gossip, chances are you've probably told a few fibs in your time. Because most gossip is based on spreading untruth or exaggerated rumours. Gossip is very powerful. It's actually really destructive. It can ruin relationships. If you've ever been gossiped about one hour, horrible it is to be on the receiving end of it. But we can we rationalise gossip very easily. We can present it very well. Like, I don't believe it's true. Or, I wouldn't tell you, but I know it won't go any further. Anyone ever starts a conversation with you like that, your fingers in your ears, you walk away. It's never going to end well. The best one is the Christian version. Just tell me you see the prison. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. It's gossip. Another way people lie is through flattery. Flattery. When you backbite someone, you say things behind their back you never say to their face. But when you flatter someone, you say something to their face that you don't ever say behind their back. When you backbite someone, you say something behind their back that you never say to their face. But when you flatter someone, you say something to their face that you never say behind their back. It's not true. My children are really good at it. Mommy, you're the best mommy in the whole world. <laughs> no ice cream. It's flattery. It's insincerity. It's not true. You don't mean it. You don't say it. It's lying. It's lying. And it's dead tempting to flatter someone when you want something out of them. 
but nothing good comes of that. And actually what it does, it just erodes trust when they realise you didn't mean what you said. Jesus was all for honesty. Matthew 5, 37, he said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Don't flatter, don't exaggerate, don't brag. It just erodes people's trust in you. But you might be sat there thinking, not all lies are spoken with bad intentions. Sometimes we lie to protect people, which is fair. And we think we're doing the right thing. If they fairly say it, it would really hurt them, so I'm not going to tell them. But the reality is, raise, lies always raise tensions. Because most people know when you're not telling them the truth. They know when you're not giving them all the information. And so what happens is we just start to become suspicious of someone. I've been in that situation before. I knew I was being lied to, but they didn't say they were lying to me, but something wasn't right because they weren't telling me. And it, your brain just goes and imagines things that are probably way worse than the, than the truth actually is. I, I did a bit of research into this, and there's, there's a numerous websites where you can basically get counselling online. Psychologists work on the internet, you can send them your problems, and they'll write back with what is often very good advice. And one, I left a letter online, one 17-year-old girl who wrote it to a counselling website. And I want to read you her letter, okay? This is what she said. So I'm really mad at my parents. Apparently my mother, who makes most of the money for our family to live on, lost her job a year ago. But my parents never told me or my brother. My mother even got up and pretended to go to work every day for the past year. I was suspicious that something was very wrong in my house when I started to overhear my parents argue about money. My brother and I talked about it and decided to talk to them about what was going on. And during that conversation, my mother admitted that she lost a job a year ago and that she didn't want to tell me or my brother because she didn't want us to worry. I think this was a stupid thing for my parents to do. They should have been honest with us. We knew that there was something wrong. We just didn't know what it was. I'm so mad at them for being so secretive. I wouldn't have asked them to buy me things if I knew they were having financial problems. And the psychologist's answer to this girl's letter was really insightful and really difficult. Don't, don't know if she's a Christian lady, but this is what she said about um, how destructive lies can be. She said, it's very difficult to live in a household full of lies because you can feel the tension, but you've got nothing to attribute it to. And as a result, you might come up with all kinds of reasons that this tension exists that may be even worse than the truth. I'm almost always of the opinion that we do better handling the truth than secrets. Secrets create tension and confusion. And while the truth might be quite painful, it's almost always easier to deal with than lies and secrets are. So if you're lying to someone in your life, because I'm sure some of us have done that and will do that and are doing that because it comes from a good place, but if you're doing that, let me tell you, the truth will out, always. And it's just best to tell the truth to fess up. Because hearing the truth hurts way less than knowing you've been lied to. And that could be a very specific word for someone here this evening. Your intentions are good, but the impact won't be. So just tell the truth. So it's pretty obvious the reason God told us not to steal or lie or cover was for our own good and the good of the relationships that we're in. And that brings us to our third and final point. If we know why we should do them, why are they so hard to keep? Why are they so hard to keep, and particularly in 2023? Because if you're anything like me, you might well be sitting there thinking, well, I know I've broken some of these commandments before. I know I, know I have. I have. I've lied. 
kid, 10p mix-ups were always had a better blue pee in there. You just tell the man that you put 10p in the room. Sorry, Jesus. Um, I'm definitely coveted. People in here are coveted. I'm not literally, I'm just looking at you, I'm not the people. I'm like, I have a coveted individual one. But your jacket, yes. Your car, yeah. Your child, yeah, sometimes. Your juggle boy. We've all done it. Maybe not the murdering and the adultery ones in the list, I understand. Some of them are a lot more serious than others. It's easy to sit there and say, I've never done that, I never will. But some of the, these ones in particular are far more easy because they're dead easy to cover up. They're often very personal. Um, into the other ones, lying, stealing, and So yeah, we've all done them, and we do them quite regularly. And as Christians, we're supposed to reflect and carry the values and goodness of Jesus on earth. We're not supposed to do them, but we do do them. As a community of believers, we're supposed to be honest with each other. We're supposed to do away with jealousy and inferiority complexes that lead us to steal things or pursue things to fill the gap that comparing ourselves to others creates. And that's never been an easy thing to do. That's why the, the, the Lord wrote them in the list. Don't do it. You know, do it. Don't do it. It's not good for you. But honestly, I believe it's, been, it's harder today than it's ever been to avoid those three things. Now, I know I've been to say that. I've interviewed 200 years ago. And they might look back at me and say, it's just as hard now. But I want to argue today that it's harder today than ever to avoid lying and coveting in particular. And that's because we live in, a, in an age of technology that has never existed. We live in a global village. That's what the, uh, the academics call it. We're bombarded with lifestyle brands and consumer products and the interest-free credit that we need to buy them through the media that we consume all the time. It's very easy to see why we so often cover things we can't afford and don't need and why some people resort to stealing in order to fund their chosen lifestyle or exaggeration and lies online in order to get people to think that they live a certain way. Technology dehumanises us. It dehumanises the people we're lying to and the people we're stealing from. Think about it. It feels way less like a crime. It feels way less like theft to just download a track illegally than it would be to walk into HMV and nick a CD. But it's still theft. It's still stealing. It's just easier to do on the internet. It doesn't feel like lying when I'm just retweeting an unsourced comment by Donald Trump. But it's lying. Doesn't feel like coveting when I'm trawling through Right Move every night looking at other people's kitchen, kitchen, wishing mine was like theirs. But that's coveting. Doesn't make me grateful for my kitchen, which, by the way, is rubbish, to be fair. But still, we are a family one. Thank you, Jesus. But it's still a kitchen, and I'm still coveting other people's. It's not, it doesn't do me any good. Doesn't make me grateful that I've got a roof over my head and running water, which is more than what 95% of the people on the planet. But if I go and Right Move, I can just and technology distances us from the sea. And then on top of that, through social media or online gaming or messaging platforms, we connected with way more people than previous generations were. And the human brain has been scientifically proven not to cope with that many interactions. I'm going to give you a science lesson there. You, you, you look thrilled at the prospect, excellent. Can I, I'm going to give you a science lesson now. It has been proven anthropologically, I can't say that word, anthropologically, here we go, that there are well-defined limits to the number of friends and acquaintances that the average person 
Britain. There's a, a British anthropologist called Robert, Robin Dunbar who came up with his magic number. This is a, you can Google it yourself, this is a well-known uh, scientific approach to studying the human condition. And his magic number is 150. He concluded by studying apes, actually, uh, that the, the, the size relative to the body of this part of your brain is called the neocortex, which is the part of the brain associated with cognition and language, in other words, relationships. That part of your brain is linked to a certain social group. In other words, there's only a certain amount of space in your brain for people to fit inside. That's, that's true. And according to their theory, the tightest circle of people in our lives, the people that we're most acquainted with, the, the people that we share the most with, the people that we're most intimately connected with, should number about five. That's generally the case for most people, about five people that we are most intimate with. Often your family, your spouse, your children. That's then followed by successive layers of 15. So your next group will be your really good friends, people that you see on a regular basis that you share stuff with and they share with you. Then 50, this would be perhaps people in church or people in colleagues that you work with, maybe people that you see on a semi-regular basis. Then 500, these will be acquaintances like clients or people that you see every now and then occasionally, maybe at school reunions. And then 1500, people that you can kind of recognise, but might not remember the name of. And after that, that's the limit. So five, five is the limit for real intimacy. Fifteen, you can kind of engage with and, and journey with. Fifty, you'd start to come a bit more distance. After that, the acquaintances are literally just acquaintances. If you have new people coming, the idea is that you have to kind of almost migrate people out because the brain is actually with that many people. Now, what's this value with what I'm talking about? Well, the problem is that social media in particular encourages us to connect with way more people than that. Way more. In fact, the very purpose of social media is to keep us connected socially with as many people as possible. And way more than the brain is designed to cope with. Now, on Facebook alone, I've got 326 friends. That's after several major calls. But I have a cutthroat. If I don't know, I, and I don't care. If, if I believe you, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but if I don't have a relationship with you, I am a big cutthroat on Facebook. Now, I'm like, I, don't wanna, I, don't, I don't really go on you very much anyway. But if I did, I'm very careful about who, who, who am I sharing this information with. I think it's a wise thing to do. Okay? Any more than 500? Maybe you don't need to have them knowing all this stuff about you. But some people have thousands. In fact, they pride themselves on how many people they've got following them and how many people they're following. For me, it's still 326 stories to view, thousands of images and updates to scroll through, countless times a day, 326 people to think about how, how I'm going to impress them, how I'm going to update them, how I'm going to share my life with them. Now, I don't use social media like that anymore, but lots of people still do. That's how we engage with the world. And the brain cannot cope with this volume of interactions. We're biologically unable to function socially with that many people in our lives. We're not designed to hear the news updates of that many people. We're not designed to learn about the lives and the ups and the downs and the grievances of that many people. We're not designed to be relationally intimate with that many people, sharing ourselves with so many. No wonder we have so many mental health problems in this nation. No wonder we're so paranoid all the time. 
No wonder we're so dissatisfied and insecure with how we look and what we have. No wonder young people are cracking under the pressure to look a certain way to fit in. I'm so glad I grew up in an age before mobile phones were around. I, I pray for our kids every single day. The pressure I are under is horrendous. For me, it was once a month in Just 17 magazine. That's how I learned about how a mascara should look. For kids, it's constant all the time, all the time. You must look like this, you must have this, you must wear that. And our brains cannot cope with it. WhatsApp's constantly beeping, Instagram and Facebook constantly updating. Someone's posted a new picture of their car, or their dress, or their house, or their kids. Adverts pinging into our inbox all the time, popping up when we're browsing on the web. YouTube, you telling us we should uh, head to get rock hard ads in between watching Gavin and Stacey outtakes. Access to pornography at the click of a button. It's sensory overload, always telling us there's something or someone better out there and you should go after it. Covet it. The temptation is so prevalent. And if you can't get it, pretend you have. Lie about it. Exaggerate. Put the filter on. Let's bring it into land. That's a very important question. If this is the situation that we're in, how on earth do we deal with it? Well, there are very practical things we can do, and I realise I'll be stating the obvious with these, these suggestions, but they might help you. First of all, you could limit your screen time if you don't already. You could call your friends, like I said, on social media, have a call. We can get under 500, it'll help. Mute your WhatsApp after a certain time of night if you constantly beeps and you constantly feel like you've got to respond. Put accountability apps on the websites you go onto that you might be tempted by so other people know that you're on them too. That can really help. If you have been lying to someone, even with good intentions, tell them the truth. But even if you do all those things, human effort alone cannot keep these laws. It just can't. The Israelites never managed it, and we won't either. Every one of us needs help. And that help is found in Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law so that we can depend on him and his grace to help us, to keep them, and to cover us and forgive us when we don't. We need to constantly turn to him and to keep a very short account of him. When I shared this with Matt, he suggested emphasising this point because it's a really good one. The temptation when you go from your wrong is to keep a distance. When actually the opposite should be our reaction, keep a very short account. Yes, we all mess up, but don't let the, the mess up keep you away from him. That's what Jesus died to cover. <laughs> you confess him. You ask him to forgive you. And you move on. Yeah. Don't let the guilt keep you keep your distance from the Lord. When we struggle with temptation, we need to remember him. And that's why the Sabbath is right there in the, in the midst of all the other Ten Commandments. All the others are like, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But the Sabbath is a different one. Keep the Sabbath day holy. If you haven't heard, I've spoken to a few weeks ago, if you haven't heard it, it's on YouTube now, it's well worth a listen. Because the Sabbath helps us to remember that we need to go back to Jesus as regularly as we can. He's the way that we keep the rest, the rest of them. He's the reason that we can do it. Our rest is found in him. None of them can really be lived out if Jesus isn't the source of our contentment and rest from this digital rat race that we live in. Regular resting and confessing to Jesus is the only way to survive in this culture of things, do we? And so, does the band want to start to come back up? Jesus.
Jesus gave us the best and most helpful invitation of all. In Matthew 11, for people that are experiencing these kind of temptations and this overload that we so often do that leads us to lie and to cover to just feel. This is what he said. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the message version, it reads beautifully like this. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take over your rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So the back end of the play, and all I want us to do at the end of this message really is to just take the time personally to just remind ourselves that Jesus is truth. He has all the things we need to live a life of fulfillment. And he satisfies more than any material thing that we think we need or want. So let's, let's as we worship him, spend some time in his presence. And actually let's use this time to confess those areas of our life where we know that that's not because every single one of us will have areas where that's not the case. Every one of us will be convinced Let's use this time to keep a short account with the Lord, to ask him for his forgiveness, and to start afresh with him and find rest for our souls. So Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that, that you died for us, Lord, not because we're perfect. You don't love us because we've got it all sorted. You love us in spite of that. Rest, we find fulfillment, we find contentment, and we find freedom. And Lord, as we worship and we confess our sins to you this afternoon, Lord, God, I pray that I you forgive us, we will each experience just the cleansing of your spirit and the drawing near of your presence to us, Lord God. As our mistakes and our, our failures are washed away. Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.